That's one of the reasons why I love my job because it's always different. I would say nurse informaticists were the face of IT. So we have a lot of interaction with different types of people. So that could be analysts on different application teams. It could be nurses, it could be executives, it could be clinical end users, it can be physicians, it can be the quality department. It can be surveyors who are coming in and want to do art review. So we can also go on site to different locations when we implement or upgrade or optimize different projects. Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, podcaster, and sitting across from me is my very spicy co-host. And I am Sam. I am a flight nurse, college professor, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. So today we're talking off the clock with Dr. Stasha Salsky. You guys, this one, so, first of all, highly recommend it. Nurse Informatics. Learning so much. Uh, we we literally learned so much in Kinda this Kind of makes episode. me want to have a career change, low-key. Yeah. Also, this week, we got some things we want to talk about. <laughs> we do. We have some good unpopular opinions because we feel strongly about these things. Yes. Okay. So um, <laughs> I'm going to let you pop off. <laughs> okay. Unpopular opinion. Hiking fucking sucks. Okay. <laughs> I hate hiking. Why do people like hiking? Okay, do you like so hiking? Here's the thing. I don't disagree with you on this. I actually, okay. I prefer hiking in the sense of like a mental detune, but like a hard hike with friends. I'm not into that. No, like incline. Yeah, no. No. Like, Sweating. okay, I'll take a nature walk. Yeah. Like something that a six-year-old grandma would take to like look at flowers and bird watch. That's my shit. I like nature, like allegedly, but hiking, I did this hike today and the whole thing was a hill and every corner we're like, okay, this is the top of the hill. And then there was more hill. And then I got to the point because it's a loop where I was like, do I want to stop and turn around or do I keep going? Because I eventually am going to get the top and then go back down. But where is the top? Like is never going to end. And then I threw like a mini tantrum meltdown and I was like crossing my arms and just like pouting as I was walking. And then I was bent over in half because my hip flexors hurt and I just like my back hurt. Who drug you on this? I want to actually. I do know who drug you on this. This was, was my idea. Oh, yeah. What, what? an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, my powerlifting coach and I are trying to go on a hike once a week, but I underestimate how out of shape I am. I know hikes will definitely like they lay you out, and they. I will... think I have exercise-induced asthma, but no one will like diagnose me. But I can't breathe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't know. get hiking like. Yeah. It's not relaxing. Mm. I'm, I'm either just that out of shape, but I don't. No. Okay. So I don't get I it. would consider myself someone who is in shape. Okay. Here's what it is. I don't like hiking with people for a social reason. Like if I'm going to go on a hike, it's going to be because most likely it's because Jacob is dragging me and because he's like, <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to like actually get you to go do some something and de-stress or whatever but it's it's not socially like I don't like heaving and puffing in front of people and sweating and then being feeling like anxious can I go off on another rant about that can we please guys that want to go on a hike for a first date sir (laughs) 
I am so out of shape. You are going to be literally disgusted by me oh. because I am huffing and puffing. Who is offering a hike on a date for the I first literally time. had someone be like, oh, do you want to like go on a hike as a first date? And I'm like, I am physically not in shape for that. I'm like, sorry. I, my face is red and blotchy. I am out of breath. Like, like I can't carry on a conversation while At I At least hike. you're attracting the kinds of men <laughs> who want to do these things that are in shape enough. But that's to the do thing this. is then like, do they think that I'm in shape enough for that? Because I, I mean, will catfish the shit out of you. Traps are putting that out there. So let's oh my be honest. God, because I can't hike. Like I can't carry on a conversation. So if they're wanting to be like, yeah. So what are your like favorite hobbies? I'll be like, well. And then they're going to get, like, very concerned. Like, are you okay, ma'am? Do you need to sit down? So don't ever take a girl on a date hiking. That sounds Can I also do another unpopular opinion? Okay, sorry for everyone out there because I know a lot of you are really going to disagree with me on this one. Ooh, I can't wait. Disneyland (laughs) sucks. Disneyland majorly sucks. do not do Disneyland. I do not understand the obsession. I don't want to walk around. First of all, I don't want to pay like a a bajillion dollars. How much is it nowadays? For like a ticket, it's like what, 150 bucks? It's probably going to be like $500 for one person by the time you leave. Um, My feet hurt. I'm sweating. I hate people. I don't want to be around them. The leg chafing. (laughs) The thigh chafe of walking around the park all day. The only thing, churros. They're churros. Okay. Churros are bomb. The churros are good. But honestly, you could get a churro at Del Taco. Yeah. I mean, half the rides like freak me out because these characters are like popping out of you and like it's scary. I, I didn't even like it as a kid. I don't like lines, to be honest, too. Yeah. Like I would maybe go to Disneyland right now while it's at half capacity or whatever <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah. But then I heard all the attractions aren't even open. But I don't like waiting in line. Like I'm not a very patient person if you've kind of gathered that from my personality. I'm more of like... I picture it when my poor, our poor children are going to be so deprived of these things. Like I would much rather like, let's go to Mammoth Mountain and go skiing. Let's go do like. No, your children are going to be cool as fuck. Like that's my goal. Like I want to go do things. I want to go surfing. I want to go take my kids. You know what I mean? Like let's go to the desert. Let's go do some shit. Okay. So my sister's like one of those like Disney adult like pass holders. (laughs) Well, and we know a lot of them. We have a lot of friends that are Disney pass holders. A lot of coworkers are very into it. Yeah. That's cool. I get it. You do you. We boo can't. Boo. We can't hurt. We can't hate on that. I mean, I guess they guys. have alcohol now at Disneyland, so the there's a little bit more of an appeal there, right? California yeah. Adventure has alcohol, but right. I don't know. I'm don't just know. not a fan. Okay. All right. Um, tip of the week. Let's do a tip of the week. Okay. What do you got? Okay. So this one for anyone who watches or listens, watches, who listens to call her daddy, y'all, this is like not new news to you. However, if you do not listen to call her daddy, the biggest podcast ever, couples therapy on Showtime. Okay. So um, can anyone give me their Showtime like login? I know. I got to give it to you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm couples <laughs> therapy. My we start Jacob and I started watching this probably about like a month ago, and we are literally obsessed with this show. And it's funny because timing has it that Alexandra from Call Her Daddy just did a an episode. She recorded an episode with the therapist that is hosting oh. the show on Showtime. So she got her behind the mic and was talking about this series. And the series started prior to the pandemic, and then it carries through through the pandemic. And so you watch these couples 
and like all these issues that start going through and then of course like a lot of social issues between dynamics of couples you know when Black Lives Matter was happening and then a lot of different dynamics of just I don't know it was so interesting to watch and Jacob and I are actually low-key addicted so if you do have Showtime go watch Couples Therapy. I want to watch this. It's really good and I don't know just the way they film it it's really interesting because they go through each couple but they do a really good job of like really portraying you know you watch first you love the couple then you hate them then you hate one person then you love one person then you you learn their background and then you're like oh my gosh this is why that person is like that and then you start seeing these things in yourself and you're like oh my god I'm totally doing that actually I'm not gonna lie it has helped Jacob and I we love the show highly recommend I recommend real couples going to couples therapy, though. Yeah. Because here's what how I feel about a relationship and as someone who's failed in them. <laughs> is that, you know, uh, this is the me. worst part about dating is going from being in a seven-year relationship to being like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> I am one more what's your favorite color away from just literally stabbing my eyes out. But anyway, I'm here for it. <laughs> I think that you have to treat relationships like a car. You don't wait until the transmission blows to take it to the mechanic and be like, fuck. Yeah. No, you need to be getting the oil changed, the maintenance, rotate your tires, all that shit. Yeah. I don't feel like you should wait to do couples therapy until your relationship is falling apart and you're trying to salvage it yeah. than to use it as a maintenance tool. Check-ins. I like yeah. check-ins. I think that's really good. Um, I know you wanted to do like a little um, Sam and Tori like yeah. couples therapy oh, yeah. check-in. The yeah. other day you were like, we're mm-hmm. going to do that on Friday. Yeah, on Friday we have, um, I think it's important for like teams, like no matter, even activities. if it's like, well, because we're kind of married, yeah. so it's fine. But I, I think it's important for anyone who's in a relationship like that. Like we're in a relationship, you and I are, and like we're very much married to each other like this. We see each other every freaking week. And I still think there's, even in our relationship, like there's things we can work on. And so, yeah, I think check-ins are great. And I've learned a lot about myself. And also she's a, she's a psychotherapist. So she's a, she is the type of person that goes into roots of people. And she really, we don't like that. It's really interesting. Yeah. And like, she really goes there with them. And I I think it's so so interesting. So yeah, that's my hot tip. I want to watch. Couples therapy. Okay. My hot tip. Okay. Masks are coming off, right? CDC said you're vaccinated. You don't have to wear them anymore. How's that skin looking under your chin? Because my skin looks like trash. It has been (laughs) like disgusting dumpster fire. Actually, that's not true. The last month it's been looking Okay, but here's what I did. So I'm going to tell you guys, I have tried every over-the-counter product there is. I follow like the Derm Doctor on TikTok. I was like scoping things like buying quality, expensive medical grade like skincare products. My skin was still, I was breaking out every week. It wasn't even like related to my period, which is kind of when I usually would relate, like break out. I was just always breaking out. My chin was just like a pus crater of pimples and it was disgusting. And I was using the pimple patches. And finally, I kept seeing these ads on Instagram and I was like, fuck it. What do I have to lose? So there's this website called NuRx and URX. Sorry, I'm like hiccuping. I have acid <laughs> reflux. I'm old. It's called NuRx.com. And you literally just upload a picture of your face. You pay $30 for the consultation and then you use your insurance card. So you submit a picture of your insurance card. They run it through there and you get acne, prescription grade acne medication and anti-aging medication. So they prescribed me and I am not sponsored 
by the way, this is not an ad. There's no but kickback to me. I would love to. New RX, uh, sh- uh, if you want to holler out. at your girl and sponsor me because I am literally a hoe for you right now, <laughs> please hit me up. But you guys, I am telling you as a like insider tip, I have been using it for three weeks. I have not had one breakout. My skin is clearing up. Like every couple days, my skin is looking better. I want to try this anti-aging shit. Yeah. Okay. So they prescribed me benzoyl peroxide with clindamycin. So we know benzoyl peroxide is like an over-the-counter acne cream that you can get like at Target or anywhere, whatever. But the clindamycin, the antibiotic component, that's one of the problems is like all the bacteria on your skin just doesn't go away. So you just keep breaking out because that bacteria is just like there. So that's been helpful. I think that's what's really clearing me up. And then they prescribed me Retin-A. Tren, trentinoin. <laughs> I spent like 30 minutes trying to figure out how to pronounce this. Trentinoin. Wait, can you please? Yeah, I, I to... YouTubed it. How we, to... she literally... Trentinoin. Trentinoin. <laughs> trentinoin. So it's like, <laughs> it's like retin-A. And that one, it's good for acne because it does like get into your pores and like dissolve any like shit. I don't know. I'm not a derm but it's also good for aging and like fine line and wrinkles so I slather that shit all over my face at night and I feel like my skin overall the complexion of it is like softening and just better so we actually um this last weekend we did a little photo shoot um for a bunch of new content and just some fun things some saucy stuff for over the selfie show and um, our makeup artist was complimenting your skin hard. Yeah, that she like, was, like felt your, good. Your skin, she literally was like, her skin was so good. And I've been having meltdowns like about how bad I'm like, I'm 35. Why the fuck does my no, skin, skin look skin like I'm 14? Really good. You're, it really does. So, so honestly, if you've been struggling with mask me, that's my tip of the week. NewRx.com. Get like over the counter stuff is not going to cut it. Yeah. You need to get like some prescription grade. Especially at our age. Yeah. And then for me, it was like I if I was going to go through my HMO, I'd have to go to my primary, pay a copay there, get a referral, wait for insurance to approve the referral to a dermatologist, then pay a $40 copay at the dermatologist. It's like the same thing to see just a dermatologist online, the $30 consult fee. It was Faster. so easy. I did it all for my cell phone, in your my home. computer. Yeah. So I don't know. Not sponsored. Would love to be, but it works. <laughs> that my skin is shining. Like we are gonna go hot girl summer in full force now. I love this. Yeah, and this last weekend, you guys, we did such a fun photo shoot. Um, hot tip: if you guys are interested, we released our vaccinated AF hats. Yes. Check the link in our and bio. Shirts. Yeah, and shirts. We have an limited awesome edition. Sew. Limited edition. They are, once they are sold out, we are done. There is no more. So we are really excited about this. So definitely check out, check those out. We are really excited about these. Especially if you want to have a hot girl summer and you just can walk around and wear your vaccinated AF hat. People aren't going to like question. You're just like, yeah. I know. We've actually, so I am shocked. We had a whole like bunch of them come through this week and we're so excited to see them on you guys. And Tori and I ordered them for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, and are we doing a giveaway? We are doing a giveaway. Yeah, we are. We ordered a couple extra. Speaking of which. Keep your eye out for a giveaway. Yeah, we're going to be doing a giveaway probably in the next week or so. So check out that on our Insta. We're going to be hosting them uh, over on the Insta. Also, Bali going fast. We only have 20 spots total and we're about halfway booked up. I know. So literally get in on that because yes, it's not even until next april so don't kind of wait because well and here's the thing you can do payment plans yeah. which is phenomenal you only need to put 25 percent down and then you have until actually they do are partnered with a company where you can 
kind of like almost finance it. So you can make payments up to, um, I forget the exact timeline, but it's past the date of the trip even. Yeah. To even make them cheaper monthly payments. Honestly, like I can, you guys, we are so excited for this. It's just honestly a vacation. We have no agenda. We do have an agenda, but it's really no agenda. We just. It's a very casual one because Tori and I are not like insane travelers. We, this is a treat yourself trip yes a relaxation trip genuine relaxation drinks beaches yeah. like hang out yeah we and we want to get to know you guys we yes, really we do hang out with like our people yeah we do we're really excited and the the oh and Tori's i was fun this. you guys too you get tori a drink <laughs> homegirl is fun <laughs> Get so down. Fun. We're gonna be sending out some emails to all of the girls or the people who have um, signed up for the trip. So if you have signed up, we're gonna be sending some emails to you. And if you're like Southern California, we'd like to try to do a few like little meetups prior so people could get to know each other before we go on it too. So that will be fun. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. But come guys. travel with us. We have a lot of fun stuff. Okay, this week, you guys, get ready. This is a an interview of interviews. There's so many things we're going to be covering today. So today you're going to meet Dr. Stasha Selsky, DNP, RNBC. So she is a nurse informaticist. Honestly, you guys, there's so many cutting edge things going on here in the healthcare field. And this is a particularly exciting one. Technology, innovation, streamlining, all of these things going on in the healthcare system. And not only that, we get into a really interesting story. Her battle with a very rare autonomic disease and her insane health journey with its POTS syndrome, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I had to say that 10 times after. Right. Fast. But we really go into advocating for your own health and the struggles she went through, even as a doctorate nurse, like all of these things that she went through as a woman going through these things. Which is really cool to kind of hear. I love hearing people that have been on both sides of the medical field as both patient and nurse. And then she was also awarded the California Rising Star from Nurse.com in 2015. So she is legit and she knows her stuff when it comes to informatics. We really get deep into what her actual role is, hot tips on becoming a nurse in the informatics industry and the importance of pushing healthcare field forward with technology. So without further ado, you guys, let's dive into the show. This is a very highly requested topic here for the selfie listeners because something that Sam and I talk a lot about is modern day healthcare and getting us up to speed with what's going on, technology, data, utilizing these things, implementing them. And you happen to be in the field where you are driving this. Yes, I'm a nurse informaticist. It's crazy. That so sounds you. like so fancy. I know. Thank you. I can't. I, know, right? I don't know if I can. I say tell people this, and they're like, "What is that?" Yeah, say it ten times fast. Informaticist. <laughs> okay, no, what I, is that? What does that even mean? Yes. Well, a lot of people always look at me. I, I and as soon as they say I'm a nurse informaticist, they look at me and they think, "Okay, so what is that?" And I tell them. So my elevator pitch to them is. I am a liaison between the IT department and clinicians. That is my short elevator pitch so that they can understand what I do in under, you know, 30 seconds. So why is that important to be a nurse? Because I know from dealing with IT department, we speak different languages. Yeah. Medical versus like technology. It's yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's important to be a clinician in the IT department because when you have 
software engineers, and other people managing health information systems, they don't have the clinical expertise. And when they go to implement these systems, maintain these systems, or even upgrade these systems, you need a clinician not only to speak the language to clinicians so that it makes sense and you understand what you're getting, but also so that you can evaluate the workflows and test it to make sure that it fits into the practice of clinicians. For example, like medication, medication barcode scanning is a thing now that nurses do. What if an engineer came in and said, oh, I, you can scan a patient's ID and then check the medications, but you can do it after, the, after you've given the patient the medication. It doesn't make sense. It's a patient safety initiative, so we do those things before we give medication to a patient. So it's important to understand the role of workflow in, in those aspects of providing patient care. Because engineers don't know that. They've never, they've never worked as clinician. Mm-hmm. It's not something that is innate to their knowledge. So you get to bridge the gap. I do. I love bridging the gap. <laughs> we need that. Yeah, 100%. I'm so glad. So I want to back up to like baby Dr. Stesha. Like let's go back <laughs> to the start. Um, you know, how did you grow up? What was your background like? So I grew up in Manhattan Beach, California. I'm the mm-hmm. oldest of four. Love my family. My dad was a professional baseball player and my mom was a professional volleyball player. So when I came out of the womb, my mom was like, here is a volleyball. <laughs> you will be playing this sport. So I... <laughs> is your mom really tall? She is. She's about six feet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, she was She was fantastic. She was a middle blocker. Okay. Get it, girl. Well known in the Long Beach Hall of Fame. So uh, fabulous athlete. So athletics runs in your family. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she also played basketball, but I didn't. I didn't take a basketball. But I um. So I grew up playing volleyball. I played beach volleyball, indoor and outdoor. Um. Well, beach only on the outside, but I I had to play indoor to get a scholarship to college. So I went to college um, and got a scholarship. I played for the University of Michigan. And while I was there, it was really hard to explore career opportunities because you're solely focused on your job and then graduating from school. So by the time I got out of school, I got an internship in every area possible. One fun fact about me is I was an intern for Dr. Phil. Oh my no gosh. No way. Yes. How scripted is the show? How scripted? Very. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought, well, actually, the funny part of that is um, my aunt married cat cora and at the time cat cora was on the show (laughs) and i and all the producers got really nervous because i went up to her and i was like cat and i gave her a hug and they were like no no you can't talk to the guests of the show i'm like no we're related like that (laughs) is my family this is my auntie (laughs) so no i i had an internship in in finance and entertainment in law um, I actually also got to intern on the Project Runway show. That was fun. When Ooh. it transitioned to Bravo. <laughs> I love Project Runway. Because they need interns. It was like great. when Heidi was still there? Oh, gosh. I think so. This was all the way back in like 2008, 2009. Junkie. I can't remember. I was a lowly intern, so I just, you know, was helping with the behind the scenes. Project. I was just the fact I mean, that I, was I would take that. Make too. it work. I was a lowly intern. Make it that. work. Yeah. <laughs> I love Tim Gunn. But I, yeah, no, I loved it. But the thing is about these roles is I was never happy in any of them. I hadn't found my passion. I didn't enjoy the work. And the thing I enjoyed the most was the hospital. I know that sounds, you know, fascinating. Well, you're talking to a lot of healthcare providers, so we all feel you. Right. Yeah, I was was actually a volunteer for an emergency room in downtown Los Angeles on Friday nights where you see all the action. Spicy. Yes. So I got to know all the nurses, got to shadow some nurses and decided I want to be a nurse. 
Dang, I know, right? I, I go to, I, got, I went to the University of Michigan, got my degree in the Bachelor of Arts, and one day I woke up and told my mom and dad, I'm going to go to nursing school. And they were like, okay, <laughs> have fun with that. So, okay, let's talk transition um, from nursing or into nursing. What, before, because you've had quite a journey as far as like your nursing goes. So, mm, yes. How did, take us, walk us through your nursing journey. What was that like? So, the first step when applying to nursing schools, of course, getting your prerequisites. And because I didn't get my bachelor's in nursing, I had a bachelor's in arts. Um, I had to go back to a community college and get uh, my prereqs. But the problem with the community colleges in California is they're severely impacted. So Sam had to, you did a slew of different I went to college. every community college. Oh, to me get too. I went to like seven different community yeah. colleges. It makes I was it like really Pokemon, fun. collect them all, yeah. get one credit here, credit there. Yeah, one of our oh, other yeah. uh, yeah. guests, Mike um, from Simple Nursing, he did the same thing. A lot of people do. Well, not only that, but then when you try to apply to nursing school, you're like, I have to send these seven different transcripts oh, in. Yeah. Pain in the and butt. And master's program, you have to send everything. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Right. So I'm sending, by the time I'm getting my doctor, I'm sending like 15 different transcripts to the school. I'm like, did you Ugh. get them all? You're like, I yeah. swear I took all my classes. Pinky yeah. promise. Oh, you didn't get chemistry? Hang on. I right, let me let me go find that one for you and <laughs> send so it annoying. in. <laughs> so annoying. Mm-hmm. And so. the further you go with your degrees, the more you're gonna have to do that, right? Uh, yep. Every time. So you after that, uh, your first job transition, what was that like? As a nurse? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my first job was at a um Big hospital in the LA area. My first job, I was a cardiothoracic nurse on a percussive care unit. Is that what you wanted to do when you went into nursing school? Like, is that the field that was your dream job? You know what? Um, I'll be honest. When I was in nursing school, I loved the nursery. Not the NICU, but the nursery. I loved babies. They were so cute. But I wanted um, a different kind of experience. So my preceptorship or that that big rotation at the end of nursing school was actually on a cardiothoracic unit. And I liked it because it was patients who needed heart and lung transplants, heart and lung surgery. And it was so central to the body that you could go a lot of different places from there. So I actually had applied specifically to UCLA's cardiothoracic unit because that was where my preceptorship was. That's what I was comfortable with. But I, to be honest, I didn't really know where I wanted to go in nursing. I just wanted to find my first job because I graduated in 2012 during the recession. There was where no jobs. There was no yes. jobs. Yeah. The yes. fact I graduated that I, in 2011. Yeah. Tori was 2012. I was also. where we started. There was no, they were not hiring when I graduated, so I had to wait. There were 6,000 applicants, and they hired 56, when they normally hire hundreds of new grads. The fact that I was even in the 56, I was like, how did I get I in the I think my 56? new grad cohort was about 30 people with about 5,000 applicants. Yeah. But I was a volunteer at where I got oh, my perfect. first job. I volunteered there while I was in nursing school. I think it's probably similar right now. Yeah. You have we're to going. get your foot in the door. Yep. Yeah, and the funniest part about my interview for my first job is I worked really hard on my resume. I had a good GPA, went to a good nursing school, I had good preceptorships, I had volunteer experience, I did extracurricular activities. No. One liner at the bottom of my resume was, I was a volleyball player in college, and she was like, oh, I've hired every volleyball player I've ever run into. And I'm like, (laughs) what? Why is that? And she said, because... They're accountable, they show up in time, and they're coachable. And I was like, I can do all those things. I was here an hour early for the interview. <laughs> so she so she hired me. I was really excited Genetics about it. coming in hot. I know, right? I was like, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. 
So let's talk about your transition into like, okay, informatics Mm -hmm. from bedside. What, how did this happen? Oh, this is a great story. So I'm one of those people I love to problem solve. And also if there are problems, I will point them out. If there's a pink elephant in the room, I will point at it and decide that we need to do something about it. Sounds familiar. So, (laughs) so when we, the hospital I was working at, when we, Uh, decided to switch software systems and we went through this big upgrade anytime you implement a new software system do a big bang everyone's starting to use the the system there are and can be and will be a lot of issues that come up so I started keeping track of all of the different issues and had about 13 to 14 pages of different things I thought that we could fix and I showed them to my unit director and she's like oh I know what you need to do with this list I was like sure tell me she referred me to um, the chief nursing informatics officer. And I didn't really know what it was at that time. I was like, sure. She's wonderful. She's a high-level executive. Um, she, um, I emailed her and said, I'd, I'd love to meet with you. Maybe we could meet over sushi and, and talk about some of the things that I think we could do with um, our software system. She said, great. And so <laughs> my first clue should have been that her assistant scheduled the, <laughs> the meeting. <laughs> but I, so I just, I walked up to, to her office. She was fabulous. I loved her. She'll meet with any clinical nurse. I gave her my 13 pages of problems and she loved it. She's like, oh, we can make different task force to solve these problems. So I showed up to every meeting, every optimization meeting, every project meeting, just on my own time. I didn't get paid for it. Were you on the clinical ladder? Did you get credit for any of this? No. Girl. No. No, wait. But this is what I think is amazing. Those are the things that get you into these situations or present you something like that. Like you taking the time. And I I love talking about this because Sam and I've talked a lot about this, about going and getting something and seeking it out and like following those passions. But then, you know, the work paid off. Clearly, here you are. But it's just crazy because sometimes that's what it takes. And to drive change, you really were driving from something that was so passionate. You were so passionate about it. And you're like, yes, we're going to find the problem. We're going to fix it. I think Got to hop so in the driver's oh, yeah. seat. I did scavenger hunts in the hospital. They'd be like, we, we need to know what this particular group of people does because here's where the workflow is broken. I'd go find them, find out what the problem was, come back to the clinical team who was on the IT side and we would fix it. I loved That's it. So, so cool. I did that for about a year. Some organizations call their champion super users or whatnot. I wasn't, I, I became a super user, but this was a little bit beyond that. I, I showed up to everything. I wasn't paid for it. A lot of people do expect to get paid for it, but I think if you want to get your foot in the door, it's go do it on your own, get involved somehow because then doors will open. So, um, in 2014, we were going through a major of our, I think it was our first or second major upgrade after we had implemented the system. And one of the nurse informaticists was going on maternity leave. So the chief nursing informatics officer had asked me if I wanted to cover her. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And she's like, you're okay with the Monday through Friday work week? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to try it. I wasn't. Were you really okay with it? I was really nervous about leaving the three days a week. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't say no to that opportunity. I wasn't going to be like, no, I don't want to. Were you doing day shift or night shift, though? I was day shift. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cush. I, you know, I worked on a very heavy unit, so a lot of people liked working night shift. So as a new grad, I was straight out of the gate working day shift. Nobody wanted day shift. And I was like, day shift for me? I never, that was me. I never, ever, ever wanted day shift. And now I'm dying on nights again. 
You Tori she was, was like not a, night, a day shift or a night shifter. No, I was not. You did not last I, at all. I don't know. I survived three and a half years, and I was like, "Get me out of here!" But you, you are a true night and now shifter. I'm back on it. Yeah, I know. And now you're struggling. Yeah, yeah. So she, so she was on maternity leave for nine months, and then she came back. But as she was coming back, someone else left for a different position. They opened that position. And I applied. And I, I didn't have nearly as much experience as other people, but um, I was hired. And one of the things they, they said that they had hired me for is they said, you have the right personality, you have drive. Um, kind of already passionate. proven yourself at that point. Yeah. And they were like, we, we know we like to work with you, which is a big thing. I didn't know that was a big thing. I have um, one of my strengths is I really like team teamwork. And that all goes back to volleyball. I'm like, thanks, mom. Thanks, Chad. They ended up hiring me. I was very green. I was told I was very green, but that's okay because I could learn. So I've been on that team since um, the end of 2014. So it's been, oh my God, six or seven years now. So, and I, and I love it. I've loved it ever since. So I want to go to the root of this because I love, like, I want to know root causes. (laughs) What, why is informatics so important? In the we, healthcare world, like, I would why say you- informaticists are equipped with these skills and knowledge to solve challenging problems that we have with clinical workflows. Because now everything demands some type of technology, whether it's an ultrasound, we have to document it um, via the electronic medical record. Because in 2009, um, the American Investment and Recovery Act, I could be stating that incorrectly. And the High Tech Act, everyone needed to switch to an EHR. We needed to abide by these core measures. There's things that we needed to do, and we needed to do them in a standard way. We needed to do them in a timely way, an effective way, and technology helps us do that. And that was across the board with every single medical field. I know because the reason I know that is because my uncle had his dentistry, and they had to switch over to tech. Like, that was like a mandated thing. Oh, our dentists... Uh, surgeon, everyone. Yeah. So our hospitals, our clinics. When I was a CNA, we still did paper charting. Yeah. Yeah. When I was school. in nursing school, we did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes process and phases. I mean, it's it it took our hospital at least three or four years yeah. to build this system to then implement it across the system. And then we had waves of ongoing clinics because we're still, you know, different organizations are still acquiring new clinics. So there's IT information exchanges going on and build and, and maintenance and upgrades going on all the time. Can I just ask, why on earth do we have so many different systems? Like, oh, why couldn't it let me just tell you. be one fucking system <laughs> yes. for this country? Yes. So that if you go to the doctor and then you go to the hospital, because... your shit's all fucking there. Why can't we? Epic. Okay. I mean, epic oh. I so I hate Epic. I loved Epic. So I, I love it. Epic. I, co- I also... Compared to Cerner, I'm an Epic girl all the way. No, I like Epic. But here's why. Because we, we live in a capitalistic society. You're free to choose which system works best for you. <laughs> which one works best for you? Which one is more cost effective? You know, and it's just and, not good for the patient, though, at the end of the day that they don't. But we can. But this is technology. It's very easy to exchange information. You have That's to enable though, it. When I go on a transport, I got to ask them to put their chest x-ray on a disc for me a that's different so imaging imaging is a whole different ball game can we fix that work <laughs> oh imaging requires a lot of storage space oh that's true it and you have to be able to transmit systems um, there's no cloud <laughs> there's no cloud we need the cloud we need imaging, is that what I mean, happen do you think i'm sorry like the cloud for for technology 
for oh, no, technology, but for like healthcare. we're working on it. Oh, Everyone's working okay. on it. Wow. Not ne- it's not necessarily going to be called the cloud, but yeah. being able to store images and pull them from different places and being able to upload them from different places because you we have ultrasounds and X-rays and CTs and MRIs and now we have um, CTs and ambulances now, special ambulances. So being able to upload all of these images to one place and being able to transmit them to different organizations is a big deal. I mean, we still it, it's still difficult to have a patient's implants like exchange oh this patient has implants this patient has this or that Im- images are tough but about, th- they're being worked on like from hospital to hospital so patients who you know for example you had care or you know were admitted somewhere and then you, but like why can't we oh that should be much well labs yeah like, labs yeah. so the you're Mar. kind of yeah so you're kind of getting getting into a universal language yeah so there's the technology piece of it and then the language we're all using to document which we should standardize but we <laughs> haven't exactly gotten there yet no so it'd be nice if we were all using the same documentation strategies and because some some places document by exception some document everything some add their own choice list so you could be documenting 10 different things to say the same thing. Do you see but the that other, happening in our lifetime where we get on the same page? I think we're going to have to. We're going to have to in order to make clinical workflows uh, efficient for nursing because we're putting so much on nursing and other clinicians now with the billing, the measures, the documentation. We're going to have to make it quicker and more effective. Otherwise, there's just going to be no way that... Like my primary MD still had to fax my lab results to the hematologist <laughs> she referred me to. I'm like, it's fucking 2021. Why are we sending well, the, fax? The hematologist's <laughs> office may not have the money to be up on an electronic medical record system where no, they, they can just pull your labs. Yeah, it's expensive. They it's do. very they just expensive. Use a different, they use in-house lab from the hospital system that they're with. Where I went to Quest for my primary doctor. So that's the other thing. We also have lab companies oh, like Quest yeah. that need a hook into your system uh-huh. so that they can send messages back. That's also, you require an interface, working with multiple different vendors, different health systems. So this is this is bigger than a breadbasket. Yeah, it's this like is a, a bigger. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing yeah. I don't think people realize, right? Like, this, this is, is huge. Right. Interfaces are huge because that means you have a system, I have a system. Now, Epic and Cerner and different larger medical rep- record systems have, you know, something where we can share information. There's a lot of information being shared now. But what's really hard is those little labs, the clinics, like the x-rays being taken. That it's The satellite it's things. The, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The urgent medical center down the street who took an x-ray i mean it's it's very difficult for everyone to get on the same system because it's very costly so i think i mean that i mean i want to know very selfishly and just you know this is partly a selfish question but i love knowing what people's days look like what does a day look like for you oh my gosh it depends on the day so that's one of the reasons why i love my job because it's always different i would say a lot of times, nurse, informatic- nurse informaticists were the face of IT. So we have a lot of interaction with different types of people. So that could be analysts on different application teams. It could be nurses. It could be executives. It could be clinical end users. It can be physicians. Um, it can be the quality department. It can be surveyors who are coming in and want to do a chart review. So um, we can have a lot of different meetings with different types of people who go all the way up to like a CIO or executives at a hospital and users who use information systems every day. Um, we can also go on site to different locations when we implement 
or upgrade or optimize different projects. So for example, one of our hospitals is upgrading their tubing system for how they send medications from location A to location B. But all of that needs testing. Where do we put it on the wall? Is that okay architecturally where we put it? Does it have network connectivity when you send the tube up? Is it easy to open? Is it RFID? How do we do all of this? All of that requires someone to go in and actually make sure that it's going to be smooth for the person getting the med. Otherwise, it's a disaster. So not only are we resources on the project team, but then we also go into the environment that it's going to be implemented and make sure that it works effectively. Interesting. So does that include, I mean, what other kinds of things other than that? Like, is it... um technology-based but it's also like rooms or like when they're building out pieces of the hospital so actually where I work right now we just bought another hospital and we're going to be doing space planning so I'm actually helping our reporting department to pull data from years of our patient populations to see what our population patient is what do they do what kind of services do they need so that we can space plan for another department so our role as a nurse informatist is actually quite expansive. It can include um, requirements and design collecting, so understanding what is needed by the clinicians, and then we kind of help to design or, or collect what is needed, and then it's we help the analyst to design it, and then we can um, manage those business owner needs. So, so basically you're talking to people – who need something or want something improved or who need a new design, new software, new piece of technology, something like that, or people who have problems and you're doing what you need to do to solve those problems or help with different projects. So like I said, the space planning. Um, so my day today, I think it'd be easier to just tell you about my day today because it's, it's so, um, there's so many responsibilities I would say in this role. So this morning, um, I met with a data developer so that they could help space plan for the new hospital that we built. And then I met with someone with from Quality so that we could take a look at the pre-up screening done by inpatient nurses for the radiology department to see what's happening there, to see who's doing it, what do we need to improve so that it's a standard that we can put in place. Um, then I actually went to visit another department. So I went into the hospital to visit a department who had implemented iPads for patients like two weeks ago just to see how it's going making sure that it was working effectively seeing what we might need to change and they had a lot of change requests and that's always the funny thing anytime you influence something there's 10 other (laughs) things that they want oh can we do can we do this and that and that and that and so (laughs) those are requests are coming from Tori and I always (laughs) yeah we're like you know what would actually be cool have you thought of can we add this on (laughs) You know, and the bigger big thing now, too, is um, I don't know if you guys have, have heard of this, but him stage seven, it's, you know, one of the highest levels that you can achieve for an organization with technology. But one of the things our organization that has that. I would think so. A lot of them do. A lot of them in California. But the, the key about it is that you have to have governance in place. And this is this is also where a lot of time is spent is who can approve these changes? Because it's not like someone asks, oh, uh, can you can you change this sentence and put it in, please? No, there's a whole governance structure and planning that goes into that because yeah, it affects ask everybody. If you had like a um, committee or something. Or Several like, committees. Okay, yeah, because I was on structures. the subject matter <laughs> expert for uh, computer charting, and we'd basically just be like, 
you need to add this into the electronic health record. You need to take this away. You need to change this verbiage. This like needs to be added. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially like when you're intense. dealing with medications, that's a big deal. That affects the entire organization. Everyone has to look at the same protocol and make sure the right medication administration instructions are there. You know, how we do things. So a lot of these changes, especially for nurses and physicians in different clinical departments, we have governance structures in place so that we can take all of the decisions or requests, we take a look, like as a nurse informaticist, I'll look at the feasibility and make a recommendation or how can we do this better or what would be the best way to do this? And either our recommendation is we shouldn't do this for X, Y, Z or, oh, here's a good idea. We can do X, Y, Z and do this. But we have to present those decisions before we ever build it. Then you have to build it, test it, implement it. When you're saying governance, I'm assuming you mean nurse-driven yes, governance. Yes, that's a big deal nowadays, especially in order to be a, a magnet hospital, mm-hmm. evidence-based practice groups, and nursing at the table making these decisions. So we have clinical nurses come to our optimization governance group to make these decisions so that the people who are working with patients get to make the decisions. And do you attend all those meetings? I do. I present uh, most of them. Okay. We have different nurse informaticists who attend different meetings, but but we um, do attend as a team. So what does the chief, like the executive level nursing informaticists do? Ooh. So, like, are you going to be one of those one day? I, your little doctorate? <laughs> yeah, so I got my doctorate in case I'd like to be that yeah. one day. Um, but the chief nursing informatics officer, the structure's different depending on what organization you're in. Um. For my organization, our chief nursing informatics officer oversees the nursing informatics team, but she also oversees um, the telehealth team, the team that does uh, the customer help desk. Um, She oversees also our clinical integration team, so they're the team who does the inpatient monitors and phones. But at another organization, you might have a chief chief nursing informatics officer who is... um, overseeing just the nursing informatics team and maybe application team. So those are the the software analysts who help to build and maintain the system. Or nurse informaticists can also be the CIO. So you Wait, can... What's CIO? Oh, the chief information officer. Oh, okay. They're the head of the IT department. That's a lot, yeah, of, CIO, lot of initials. All those things. Yeah. So, so it depends on the structure of the organization, but it, it means that you manage those teams of people or application teams and also means you get to make really important decisions. So let's say you're talking to Emily and she is a newer nurse who has some technology under belt, grew up with technology and is maybe interested in this type of role. Do you think that you need to be a super tech savvy person to get into this or like what do you think? Not at all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, you need to be a nurse. Um, you need some clinical experience because you draw on your clinical experience to understand some of these workflow issues that, that we see every day. The second thing is, is there's an organization, it's called the American Nursing Informatics Association. Lots of nurses join. There's local chapters across the country. Great networking opportunities. They have conferences every year. There's also um, other types of organizations and other, and other conferences. But honestly, networking is one of the best things that you could do. We talk about Say it all it the time. Say it 1,800 times. Yep. Yeah. All We're a broken time. record. Network, network. Yeah. Network. I didn't questions. know it at the time, but I went when I went to go meet the chief nursing information officer, I was networking. Yeah. But yeah, I was really be- like problem solving. But yeah. at the same time, I was networking. At the core of this, I really feel like networking is such a huge part of the healthcare field. We don't talk about that enough. Networking. It's all about, 
you know, I, I even just talked about this the other day about um, even attending conferences, like you're saying, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know what you're going to learn, but mainly you never know who you're going to meet. Right. You never know who you're going to meet and you meet a lot of people. And I think the most important piece here is Emily can network with nurse informaticists and other people who may know about job opportunities. And here's the thing. I'm a nurse informaticist, but one thing we haven't talked about is there are tons of nurses in IT who are not in a nursing informatics role. They can be a trainer. They can be an analyst. They can be a director of applications. They can be a different kind of chief. They can be a CIO. They can work on our clinical integration system. They can work in security, cybersecurity. They can, we have nurses in various roles. So it's not just nursing informatics. It's IT in general. And if you go through job postings for clinical analysts, um, clinicians in IT, trainers, um, nursing informatics, the big thing is that you are a clinician. And if we're looking at nursing informatics, that you are a nurse and you've had some clinical experience. If you have some IT stuff, great, but not needed. Do you think a master's degree is needed for this? For an entry level role to get your foot in the door, no. You need to have the drive, the networking, and the nursing, I would say nursing experience. Later on down the line, I think education is always beneficial because you're investing in yourself. So so for me, I think investing in myself is really important. So I went on to get my master's and later my doctorate, but I'm also really passionate about school and what I learned in school. So I was able to focus on things that I love. And that has also enabled me to go certain places in my role that I wouldn't have been without school. I think it makes me an expert in my field. I think it helps me understand topics on a deeper level. But it really depends on what you want to do because school is an investment. It is costly. So you have to pick a program that aligns with your budget and with what you want. And I think the most important advice that someone ever gave me is don't just go get your master's. Get your master's when you decide what you want it in. So for me, my master's was in um, nursing administration, but that's because I knew that a master's in that, it would, it would teach me managerial skills. I knew I kind of, I didn't want to be a nurse practitioner. I didn't want to be a clinical nurse specialist. I really liked informatics and maybe management, but it turns out it really helped me in informatics because there's a lot of administrative duties as an informaticist. We receive a lot of different emails. We give presentations. There's a lot of keeping track of different things. We don't necessarily manage people, but we do manage quite a few projects and optimizations and have an understanding of how our organization works. Don't some universities offer an MSN in like IT or informatics? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh there's a lot school, of. My yeah. does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can get an can MSN get in informatics, informatics now. Yeah. So is that something you recommend. recommend or like if you had it? Was that an option at the school you got your MSN from? So um, the school, I went to Cal State Dominguez and I did, they did not have a master's in nursing informatics at the time. Mm -hmm. The master's in nursing administration fit me at the time. I didn't have a role in informatics at that time. I was just starting to get into it when I had started that program. But I fell in love with informatics and knew that's what I wanted to do and knew that I loved telehealth, which is why my doctorate focused on those topics I feel like well because Capella has one so like let's say let's say somebody intentionally knows they want to go into this realm or something do you think it would be beneficial to get their master's in I think yes if someone well but see not potentially you have to know you like it don't spend the money don't take the time unless you know you want to do this that's why I say volunteer become a super user get on some of these project optimization meetings most hospitals love having nurses participate in these initiatives 
love it. There's always an opportunity to do this. So if you get involved with it and you find that you like it, then go invest in your master's informatics or your doctorate. I wouldn't just go do it to explore it. I would make sure that you know that this is what you want because it's no fun if you think you want this and then you get into school and you're like, oh, I don't like it. You, you, I think it's more beneficial when you know that this is what you want. Yeah, I have like sort of mixed feelings on that situation because I 100% agree. I do think going back for your master's, the whole point of a master's is to build on whatever you are passionate about or your field of expertise, right? I went back initially thinking I want to be a nurse practitioner. So I started and I actually, I don't regret it. I was in it for a year, but I actually feel like I re-upped on so many things that I had forgotten about my physiology, my patho, even farm, which is kind of when I tapped out, but I learned a lot. However, I agree with you. I do think it's something to really talk about because we talk about this a lot about, you know, advancing education. I'm a big advocate for it. I'm currently in my NP or my master's. I'm catching up to Sam over here who already has hers. But I think it is, it's so valuable to invest in yourself, but I do think taking the time to think about the way you want to invest in yourself. I think it's important to think about it because I'm someone who, if I'm going to take that time and that effort, then it has to be something that I really want to do. Otherwise, I'm not going to be that invested in it. See, that shows what a YOLO person I am. (laughs) Because I went back for my master's and I knew I wanted to do it. And I had been a nurse for five years. No, three years when I started, five years when I graduated. And I was like, I better do this now before I've been out of school so long that I like am too far away. You're like where I am right now. No, yeah. I disagree. Yeah. Nurses are brilliant. They can always go back to nursing. I just, I was like, That's let me do true. it while I'm fresh though. Like I just still have like energy in me, but I had no idea. I knew I didn't want to be an NP like you, but I didn't know what I wanted. So I was just like leadership. It's broad. It sounds cool on paper. leadership it is and then I was like I'll figure it out once I get there I was like if I do decide I want to go back to NP then you could I would do like a DNP program or something or I was like if I do want to do CNS then it's like I already have the base MSN I can always kind of get another specialty after that so I liked that it was broad but I was like I could do education but I don't know I'm not like a I kind of sometimes just jump off the deep end of the things and people yeah, have to like pull me to back to. in. Yeah. And that's what I did. And then there's nothing wrong I'm with still, that. Like I still always joke though. I like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm just like, eh, that's why I was picking your brain about the doctorate. No, I, I mean, I think it depends. I think there's a lot of different types of people and how they approach things. And if you jump in headfirst, I think that's great too, because that's how you do it. And that works for you. For me, I was a little bit slower with school because you know, for me, it was quite a bit of work and I was working while I was in school. So I thought, girl, okay, you got your doctorate by 30. I know. Whatever you were. <laughs> I am 35 and Dear proud Lord. of it. <laughs> With your doctorate. I'm really curious about this too, like selfishly, because um, your role, I mean, the role that you, when you started, I'm just going back to like how it was when you started and you're presenting to CNOs and like very big people who run these healthcare systems how much uh, how hard was it to like dig deep and present or start giving these ideas or like what was that like for you yeah, what a boss yeah I, mean, <laughs> I just think about like if I, oh so my god cool. like I can't imagine doing that and I think it's I actually think I would really love it but I'm just curious oh I love it you know what? it's a conversation I didn't think any, I you do you can't think of it that way yeah. it's a conversation and I approach it as a story I have learned that you when you present you're telling a story of Here's where we started. Here's the problem. Here's our recommendation. You know, whatever it is that we're talking about, 
But I think that those types of people, chief, chief nursing officers, executives, clinicians, I think that those are one of the, the things that you have to have as a nurse informaticist is interpersonal skills. And I enjoy presenting. That that talking in a meeting is is something that comes easily to me. Um, that might not come easily to everyone. Which is ironic because it's so, like, technology-based. But, yeah, like, you actually have to... But nurse informaticists, you know, yeah. some... So, you know what? We have different pers- – there are different personality types. I am one of those – I love working with people. I have good interpersonal relationships, and I love presenting. Yeah, so for me, it came easily, and it – I didn't think anything of it because we're all there for the same reason. We're all there to improve the care of our patients. So if we're all there for the same reason, then there is nothing to, to worry about. Now, of course, when it comes to presenting and speaking in front of people, I had a lot of improvement to do, and of course, I there's always room to improve there. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think about it in the sense that, oh, I'm presenting to these people. I thought about it in the sense of, I hope we get this approved because this would be really great for our patients. Yeah. So it was just a different form mindset. of thought. Mm-hmm. It's all about your mindset. Yeah. I really like that. We talk a lot about that too here about sort of the idea of thinking like an athlete and just, I, I'm a big believer, which is why I'm a supporter in grad school, is always taking the time to better yourself, much like athletes, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm super competitive. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, That's like, like number one thing in your house. Yeah. yeah. Like I want to have the best patient care where I work. I right. want to make sure that our patients are taken yeah, care of. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's a big piece that we kind of miss that a little bit in the medical field of like the idea that self-improvement and like investing in yourself is is key to make, to help drive change, to help, you know, get these things off the ground, to get innovative, to really challenge ourselves. I think that's a big piece that we sort of forget to talk about. You know what? It's actually a lot of conversations around professional development where I work, which is really incredible. They encourage all nurses to become certified in their specialty. There's actually a nursing informatics certification, and I took the time to study to pass that exam to become certified in it. But I think um, I think professional development is really important. They ask a lot of questions surrounding that these days in interviews. How do you pr- develop yourself professionally when you've graduated from nursing school? So I tell a lot of new nurses, you know, conferences, get your certification, keep educating yourself, read medical journals, join different um, best practice groups where you're working or, or initiatives that you may be a part of. But I think it's really important where I am right now. It is always a part of the conversation, but I can understand that at different places, that's something that we don't always talk about. I think that's happening in a lot of places. I think at least here in California, I can't speak to other states, but... I think the conversation of nurse develop or personal development is becoming Growing. more than is the norm. It's the new norm. Yeah, because every year when we do our performance evaluations, it's always the question is where do you see yourself in five years? What do you want to develop this year? You know, it was a big goals? question for me. Yeah. When you're done with your doctorate, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I'd like to work on publishing some things. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like the natural progression of what are you going to do now? Next, next, next. So. Let me ask the rude question that everyone wants to know if they're interested in Oh, at least six figures. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Boom. Say it again. At least. But it's okay. depending on experience more. Okay. So the bang Let is worth you. the buck, listeners. Yes, what we want to know. Is the bang worth the buck? Well, I mean, sometimes yes. it's like you can't just meet someone in the grocery store and they're like, I'm a nurse informaticist and go, oh, well, how much do you make? Like, that's yeah, rude. Yeah, yeah. Well, but we're, but we're here <laughs> to ask. We're, this is family here. Yeah, so yeah, we're going to. Yeah. So, uh. Actually, there's a lot of research on this. Hims does a survey. I think it's every year or every other year where they send out a survey to nurses in IT and they ask their salaries. 
And it's at least average. And I'm talking across the country, at least six figures. It's about 100000 But in California, yeah, the, that doesn't go anywhere. The Especially salary, LA. no, yeah. the salary is much, Wait. much higher. It's because, adjusted for Because that. for California and, Good. you know, just yeah. state income taxes and apartment <laughs> taxes, yeah. buying homes. So me today setting up my installment <laughs> plan for taxes. We both oh, got eaten up I feel alive attacked. this year. Thank you, California. Oh. I think everyone. Oh, me too. Yes. Ouch. Ouchies. I don't want to talk about it. I don't either. Give me some of that candy over We're there. We're selling kidneys. Throw me, throw me a candy. <laughs> Let me drown I mean, my sorrows. we could sell our eggs. We could oh. sell our eggs. No, I don't we like could. this kind I, of I'm women. not opposed to that. Actually, Smart women. You know Sour what we ones. should... This would be a side note tangent. Um, I have my cousin is a, a surrogacy lawyer. Get, which one? Yeah, that one. Oh my god, here we go. This one? Yeah. Okay, this is the problem when I buy good snacks. You start getting picky around here. Is that what happens? I guys, Tori got, spoils me. Yeah, smart sweets. They're freaking delicious. Tori spoils me, and now I have to have treats while I podcast. I um, just these can't. watermelon ones, highly recommend you guys. I got them on Amazon. And I haven't I have. tried the watermelon oh, yet. Oh, I'm going to buy them when I go home. Really this good. is my new Low sugar, snack. lots of fiber, but they're still kind of good. <laughs> Water, sour watermelon cheese. Yeah. Uh, yeah, new healthy snack. <laughs> here we go. Sad. Yeah, they're good. They're a little... Healthy you know. people, 2020, here I come. There <laughs> we go. Um, I want to know something, also a selfish question. What's a myth you want to bust about this like what's something everybody you know? asks me if I know how to code oh everybody they're like hey so do you know how to code should I take a coding class and I'm like that's not really my role yeah. we right. but you can but see here's the thing nurses can go into IT and and code and learn how to build software that's the amazing thing but in my but in the nursing the true role of the nurse informaticist we don't Typically, so you bridge code. the gap between the coding nerds and the clinical. Yeah, side. so the people who come in. <laughs> no offense, coding. So we'll nerds. have someone say, "Hey, you know, in session, in, in this CER role, we've mapped this many um, lists to it. Can you go ask the clinicians if this what they want?" When I go to the clinicians, I'll say, "The choice of heart murmur S one S two, and this is mapped, and this so you're is how bilingual. many points is you're gonna get." When you, you know, you when, you, when you see the you score <laughs> versus if, if, if they say that in a meeting, I'll be like, so, <laughs> so what they means? do mean is, yeah, but I can filter a lot of that. Not only that, but I can also help optimize that so that by the time it gets to a clinician, it's something that they may want to use. So you're synthesizing a lot of information and communicating between two. Yes. Big word, Tori. Yes. All the time. Oh, so like, many meetings. Oh. I'm preparing for you my sound like a grad yes. school yes. student. That's why there's so many meetings though. Oh God, I just finished my, li- I'm working on another paper today. I'm like, my brain is so. Are you in research right now? I am. Uh, How did I know? I was like, you use synthesize That's a tough class. That was, so a, that was a tough class it's it's just it's like getting through at, you know pulling papers and weeding through and then you have to the write data. your research paper yes yeah yes. research was the hardest class in my msn it's well the research lot. too there was like a first one and a second one and i got an a minus in it I mean, so for doctor it. you have to take quantitative research methods you're talking me out one. of my doctor right now <laughs> you can do it that was that was the hardest one for me i thought i was Really what was nervous. the hardest part of your DNP? Oh, my God. Statistics. You have to run data analysis in statistical software and analyze the data. Data that they give you, but still. Can't you just like I don't want to be a, a statistician. Yeah. I want to. I my, Outsource yeah. it. Outsource. Outsource. The doctor is meant so that you can synthesize information and turn it into best practice. You, a lot of people within DB, you can do research. But you're doing the DNP and not a PhD because you – want to implement best practices in healthcare settings. You aren't the one necessarily doing the research. You'll pu- we'll publish things on, you know, 
quality improvement and what happened and how we implemented it, what happened when we implemented it. The, the research says A, but when we implemented it, are we still getting A? You know, there's there's so many issues when you go to implement something. How you did it is so important and right. what you did to improve the patient's care. So it's just a different line of thinking. So when they had us take the quantitative research analysis class, I was, <laughs> it was hard for me because that wasn't my true passion. Yeah. Research is not, I mean, I think research is wonderful. It's just for me, I'm someone who prefers to implement best practice and not do research on. You don't want to figure out what it be is. Best practice. Yeah. You want to take the answers and now. Yeah, make, I want to take it and, and implement it and then tell them. people, hey, if you do it this way, it works better. What do you think is a really good, like the top three qualities that a nurse informaticist should Ooh, okay. Have? Number one, problem solving. You have to be able to problem solve and think outside the box because sometimes a clinician will come to you with a problem and say, discharging our patients, the workflow is messy. Okay. But the technical analyst might say, well, in this software, we can only do X, Y, Z. But then we might think outside the box and say, okay, well, what if we did it this way instead? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, let me look into that. Maybe we can do this or maybe we can do that. So I think problem solving is number one. Number two, I would say communication skills. You have to have those communication skills to be able to talk in the technical language and then also talk with clinicians and use your clinical expertise. So going between the two. And that actually, it's a big transition from clinical nursing into IT nursing. Um and it takes time. I mean, it, it took me at least three years to feel at least comfortable and another three years to feel super comp- super competent. <laughs> I think that's really normal in the nurse world. I mean, it, it's funny because maybe not on every unit, but at least I felt like for me in the NICU world, it took me a solid three years. If you think yeah. you know it all in the first yeah, like no. year or two, yeah, you I are agree. literally delusional. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I was so nervous. You don't know it all, okay? Because <laughs> you haven't seen nearly enough. I mean, I feel like, honestly, the longer I, uh, I'm a nurse, the less I know sometimes. Well, when I was first hired, I was like, okay, what question have I not asked that if I don't ask it, it's going to go wrong? <laughs> right. Because we, we have to ask all those questions, and you have to think about Globally. all of the things mm-hmm. that you can ask because the application analysts are experts in their application. But we have a higher level view of, okay, well, if radiology implements this, how does that affect inpatient nursing? How does that affect this? So you have to ask those questions. So for me, I was nervous though. Well, what am I missing? Or what What if I didn't ask all the right questions? Yeah, so, no, a- but that's a sign of intelligence in my opinion is yeah. – did sitting you just there call saying, me smart? What? Yes, yeah. I did. I appreciate it. You are, though. I mean, <laughs> no, to me, really. I think that's the biggest sign of intelligence is knowing that you don't know it all and saying, okay, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know everything, so what else don't I know so that I can learn it? Well, that's what's the best thing about this role. I get bored quickly, and this role changes so – there's so many changes yeah. in technology. Just in the past year of the pandemic – I was going to ask from, about that. Oh, my yes. gosh. I've never worked so hard. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, how much does politics and healthcare, like government regulations, affect your job? So much. Because one of the reasons that telehealth was not widely adopted is because Medicare doesn't cover it for many things. Fucking Medicare. As soon as the, as soon as the pandemic hit and they lifted those billing restrictions... Everyone loves telehealth. So we went from, you know, maybe a couple hundred uh-huh. telehealth visits oh, a month yeah. to thousands. Right. I think telehealth so is many great. Why do I have to go to my doctor yeah. and sit in an office when you know they're going to be late for the appointment? Next because to someone who's sick. Yes. And God knows what. When I just need just like the a parking and on. driving in LA alone. Yes. Yeah. Just that. 
Well, even for like my hematologist appointment, the follow up, it was just to review my labs to see if my iron went up after the iron transfusion. Just paying to park. And it was, yeah. Just paying to park. I'm sorry. And just then that. The, I'm going to drive 25 minutes each way. Like, no. I hopped on telehealth, had a 10 minute talk. Your labs are good. If you feel tired again, call me up and we'll check your levels. Well, and patients have at home devices now. You can do your O2, your blood pressure, your heart, all from home. And. There's symptoms that if you need to come in for those, we know to have you come in for those. So I'm a nurse. I can literally tell you that I have a sinus infection and to give me a pack. Like, I don't need to come in. <laughs> We're not giving that advice, but yes, we could I'm just saying, I'm like, I'm congested. I have sinus pressure. But like pressure. I said, it's nurses purulent. are brilliant. We kind of know. It's no. purulent. I have purulent drainage. No, give me my pack. <laughs> I don't need to come in for this in person. I love you. Yes, you're right. You're right. 100%. Or it's kind of like giving yourself microneedling. No, I would never do that, Victoria. <laughs> Let's go nurse, on Amazon after Or when I, you know, I like to give my husband a, an IV every now and then. But yeah, you're right. Allegedly. I, okay, allegedly. That did not happen. Might have to cut that. Um, so this year, I mean, overall, you'd say COVID. How has it affected your role? I mean, how has it affected my role? Well, you know, um, I work with the. Um, the team we call the telehealth team. So we had to broaden and train several physicians to use video visits, telehealth visits, how to use the pa- how to enhance the use of the patient portal because the patient portal you can put in your heart rate, blood pressure. You can remotely monitor patients in several different ways and all of a sudden there was this explosion of need for these services. But not only not only remotely, but in the hospital. I mean, we had shortages of PPE, so we had to find a way for people to be able to communicate with patients without always having to put on their personal protective equipment. That's all IT. So we gave the patients iPads. We put Zoom on them so that you can the families could talk to them because the families couldn't go in and visit. So instead of having the nurse repeatedly call, you know, now the families can just dial into the Zoom, see their patient. They can chat. We can talk to them from in and outside the room. There were several things. Oh, and then just infection prevention, just the changing of the screening from day to day and the updates from L.A. County and, and contact tracing. That's all technology. That's all best practice advisories, pop-up, pop-ups letting you know what's going on, how a patient screens throughout their hospital stay. I there was like you so got much a bonus. work for that. Oh, what? Yeah. You should have got a bonus for 2020. <laughs> this girl a raise no a lot of hospitals did not do bonuses or raises because it was so difficult during the pandemic because the the big money maker surgery everyone has to shut down for weeks at a time so that was a big hit for a lot of hospitals that hit a lot of us in a pediatric world we were slow even as it was and even a as you said, our big money maker, the surgeries were down. Which yeah, all the voluntary crazy. or elective yeah. Elective things. surgeries. Yeah. Yeah, it, did, it affected a lot of people. So do you think telehealth is like here to stay now? I hope so. I hope they keep the billing restrictions where they're at because it's so useful nowadays. Yeah. And patients love it. Patients yeah, I feel like it. access to health care is greatly improved. Well, not only that, but I think... That's cheaper. Access. Yeah. Yeah. How many little old grannies don't even have a ride to the doctor? Yeah, always? don't have a ride. They don't you have to pay for parking. Half their phones are not. They don't use iPhones. They use flip phones. Come on now, people. 
<laughs> What's no, that well, big grandparent phone called? Oh, my the jitterbug. Yes, my the jitterbug. <laughs> my grandma had a jitterbug. <laughs> she still doesn't know how to use no, it. No, I mandate my parents use iPhones, and they both now know how to use Zoom and video. Visits. Oh, my grandma has it's an key. iPad and an iPhone. Granted, she'll accidentally FaceTime you at like two in the morning, and you're like, what is happening? And then it's just You know just what's like, funny? Okay, my dad, we tried with my dad. He will absolutely not. He only uses Flip because my dad's minute 82. However, um, Jacob's grandma, Viv, she got her iPad. She's 92, 93, 94 yes, years old. She is on her iPad, and she is DMing me messages on Instagram. Yes, weekly. queen. Love, Love it. Love me some That's Viv. That's amazing. Love Viv. I am like... Girl, you get it. I'm like, here's if you and Jacob have a daughter. I kind of want to request that you name her Viv. I know. I actually, we. Mm, oh, did we're I manifesting. We're manifesting. Okay. We're manifesting. I just want you guys to have a girl so that she can be like me, and then come yes. live with me one day when Auntie she's like Sam. an unruly teenager, and you guys are like can't handle her, and oh, I'll just take her on. That's so much fun. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I'm gonna teach her real hot girl shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You Jacob. would. You would. That would be something you uh-huh. would do. I know. I know. Send her over to me. I'll teach her math. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a good influence, it's right here. Yeah. How we should do, how we should. Uh-huh. I'll be like, you need to go into the profession of nursing. Here we go. Yes. Let's talk gut health. Imagine this, a probiotic that actually works and does what it's supposed to do. When you find the right probiotic, the one that really works, it's really like winning the lottery. Introducing Just Thrive Probiotic. So this probiotic is the real deal. It has been through rigorous testing formulated with scientific research using the foundation of health to create these wellness products. We actually brought on co-founder and CEO of Just Thrive, Tina Anderson, where we dug deep into the formulation of these products. Just Thrive worked closely with Dr. Simon Cutting. He's a world-renowned probiotic expert at London University, Royal Holloway, to gain access to the most widely studied and used probiotic strains in the world. I have personally used these products for the past three months, you guys, and I cannot speak highly enough about them. A little bit about their products. They are 100% survivability, vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut and gluten-free as well. Clinically proven strains for leaky gut with nine other ongoing human clinical trials currently. They are a powerful immune and brain support. Say goodbye to your uncomfortable, bloating, embarrassing, gassy, leaky gut, you guys. One that I can speak personally on. Say hello to feeling regular and a clear head. All right, you guys. And of course, we have an amazing offer for you. If you head over to justthrive.com forward slash selfie, you get 15% off of your order. Again, that's justthrive.com forward slash selfie, justthrive.com forward slash selfie. All right, you guys, let's get back into the show. Okay. So I want to segue. We're going to go sharp, sharp turn left. Um, Left. Sure. Yes. Left. Um, something that I think is really interesting, a big piece of your story is, um, you've been not only a provider, but you were also a patient. Oh, oh, I'm a huge patient. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Patient all- of the year. <laughs> I should be patient of the year. <laughs> Maybe the century. Is there a um, Daisy Award for patients? Because you get it. Oh, I would love a Daisy Award for being a patient. As being a patient, I was always trying to be the best patient for nurses because I know how hard nurses work. And so I was always trying to be that patient Same. that you wanted on your shift. Right. You're like, I, you, Sam talks no. about this. When You're- I got, when I was hospitalized inpatient, I told my nurse, 
at the first like time she came in the room, I said, my pain meds are due every four hours. Just bring them in when you do my Q4 vitals. I can walk myself to pee and unplug my IV machine. You oh, just I gave my report. Yeah. Handover report. I gave it. No, I would write down my <laughs> eyes and O's. I'd write down my eyes and O's for them. And I was like, just bring my pain meds in when you need to do my blood pressure and you won't hear a peep from me. Yeah, I called my own rapid response. I let him know. I was like, crashing. <laughs> if you could come help me, that would be great because I can't move. Okay, so let's let's back up to that. So sure. um, what in the hell happened? What happened? To oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, I woke up one day, went to work and my heart rate was about 140. I went to the emergency room and <laughs> was uh, sick, very sick for three months. I that day was my last day of work for about a year. Uh, I went to the emergency room, had several symptoms, you know, nausea, low, high heart rate, low, high blood pressure, GI symptoms, um, muscle shakes, just it's almost it was almost like a syndrome of collection of things. And they, of course, worked me up for a heart attack, something with my lungs, D-dimer, all different kinds of things that could be causing organ malfunction. But long story short, I was admitted for quite some time. Um, I did have, you know, a lot of different exams done, including, you know, a a PET-CT where I had the injected isotope, which was positive. You know, we go looking for tumors, couldn't find anything, which is very rare because these PET-CTs are very sensitive. (laughs) But I ended up being diagnosed with something called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And what is that? It's called POTS. <laughs> how common is that? Not like the weed, but how <laughs> common? <laughs> I don't smoke pot. Um, but that's what it's called. Um, it's a collection of, of symptoms that make up this syndrome that they call it. How common? You know what? I have something called hyperadrenergic POTS. It I is did Google it. When less you common. Yeah, it's a yeah. little less common. I have just random spurts of a whole lot of adrenaline that brings on a lot of really fun symptoms. Um, But in terms of common, it's most common for women, successful women, highly educated women in their 30s. Oh, shit. It is very (laughs) strange. They don't, when when I looked this up, they don't know if it's because those are the women who are going to the doctor's visits trying to figure out what it is. Um, I do think there's a lot of people who are undiagnosed. It can be, it can look like a panic attack. So people can be diagnosed with anxiety, especially women for a period of time. In fact, it's average four year, four years, I believe, to be, have the official diagnosis of POTS for women. Why for me, it was three months. Is. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Keep it real. Why do I think that is? I think sometimes when women talk about these symptoms, it's very common to think it's anxiety. Or brush them off. Or brush them off. I think I I, I do recall I, I definitely got brushed off sometime, but I met some fantastic doctors. One of them is my cardiologist, and he saved my life. And he made sure that I was um, the center of his care, the center of his attention, and he didn't brush me off at all. And he, in fact, he told me. I will make sure that just because you're a female, you're not going to get brushed up. That does happen to women, but I've seen what is happening to you, and I know that this is not anxiety. So it made me feel better. But I, but I do think, um, but I do also think that POTS is one of those diagnoses that is very difficult to diagnose because you have a lot of different syndromes, and some of these diagnostic tests, it's very difficult to diagnose because POTS, the the POTS test, you can do a tilt table test, or you can just have someone stand up for a certain period of time and see if their heart rate goes up. I didn't exhibit that for months. I had all of these other symptoms, and my heart rate was 38 at one point. Okay, Lance Armstrong. 
<laughs> I know, right? I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Well, that's the thing about the heart, which I think is so interesting, is just because it's doing one thing one minute doesn't mean, like, there's 24 hours a day and your heart is an electrical muscle right. being. And Things if it's not doing so... that when you're at the appointment, you're like, no, I swear this right. happens. Well, no, they monitored me. They saw they saw it happening to me in the hospital. And the, and the thing that threw everybody off and myself is my heart rate would be 30s in the 30s and then it'd be really high but I they did a lot on the heart did a lot of checking on my heart and the thing is I don't have a heart problem POTS is autonomic dysfunction it's a nervous system problem my autonomic nervous system is broken and that is what causes it's so it's multi-organ so it's not just heart so where is that like stem from or what's the like origination of they for me um we thought it could be pheochromocytoma or carcinoid, but I was ruled out for all of those, even though I had the signs and symptoms and the positive. Yeah, it sounds very pheo. And the tumor marker. <laughs> right. So the etiology can be one of those two tumors, but it can also be viral. So for me at this point in time, they think it was a virus. So they think it was an upper respiratory infection that just somehow made its way up to my brain and had a little chit chat with my autonomic nervous system and decided that the autonomic nervous system wasn't going to win that fight. What is the ANS autonomic nervous What is it? So control? the autonomic nervous system. So you have your central nervous system, your peripheral nervous system and your, you know, autonomic nervous or your autonomic. The autonomic is your rest and dry, rest and digest. So it's the part of the body that is working for you subconsciously so your heart rate your breathing your digestion everything that's supposed or your fight or flight mechanism so so, so my fight or flight mechanism can just decide to turn on it's like no danger and it's like, like oh my I'm god chilling watching tv bro your plane is crashing <laughs> except nothing's happening and your body acts like it's running a marathon you've just finished 26 miles and then, then all of those symptoms happen. Wild. <laughs> all of the pleasure of finishing a run, it just all Same happens at how once. your body can just yeah. go haywire like that. Mm-hmm. Can we go back to the moment that you um, slightly glossed over about when you called oh, your own rapid? I called my own. <laughs> can we talk slightly about glossed over? Yeah, we so glossed was, over. This. Very cash. I was We're admitted. I was in the hospital. My mom was in the room, and I said, "Mom, I need you to do me a favor because I felt." I've never felt anything like this. I, I don't, I'll never forget this, but I had a huge surge of adrenaline. They did labs, you know, 10 minutes later to, you know, approve of my theory of, oh my God, I'm releasing epinephrine all over my body. And I said, could you put, could you hit the button on the wall? <laughs> and so she goes and hits the blue button. I'm like, thanks. Did could she hit the code blue and yell or the for rapid? No, it was, it was. You know what? Their code blue. You know what? It was the red button. I didn't care. I was hit one of these buttons. Code blue, rapid. I don't care. Just I need people. So she goes outside. She's like, I need some people because my heart rate within, you know, 10 seconds was 165, 175, 200. And then my limbs uh, kind of froze. It's it's I you know, you think about rigor mortis, but you're awake and your limbs curl you have respiratory alkalosis, it's severe, and I was still awake. So my limbs, I couldn't I couldn't use my limbs. They were shaking. I had a lot of chest pain. I felt the adrenaline leaking out of me. My heart rate was everywhere. I'm surprised I didn't code and have VFib or VTAC. In fact, so were they. So <laughs> they were impressed with my ability to survive that. That's terrifying. So that is not normal for POTS patients. So that, was it just like a crisis moment that your body just... You know, they think that because it was the severe onset of POTS, my autonomic nervous system didn't know how to work itself out yet. So 
it was just failing at the time. I was, I almost had a pacemaker. I'm very lucky that they found um, some drugs that would work for me. So I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm very We're lucky happy to be here. here. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> How do you recover from something like that? What was so I was, I was disabled for about a year. I couldn't work for about a year. And then I, what's so great about the organization I work for is they let me come back slowly. So I came back and started with, you know, a couple days a week, started half time and worked my way back to full time. But I would say it involves a lot of medication management and different doctors because the cardiologist manages the the cardiac and lung part of POTS. But then there's the, you know, GI distress, the shaking, the other flares that you might wake up with in the middle of the night. So it takes a couple of different physicians to manage that medications. And then I would say the one thing that was really hard, but helped me the most was cardiac rehab. I was really proud when I graduated from cardiac rehab. What do you do in (laughs) cardiac rehab? Oh, they kicked my butt. Um, they, uh, we started with walking and we did walking, weightlifting and started doing walking on hills, but they monitor your heart rate. And at the same time we were tapering, medications to try and see if I could sustain a high heart rate. So my resting heart rate is anywhere between 80 and 120 sitting. Can you feel when it's more like on the 120 side? Yeah, but I'm strong enough now that I can sustain it. That was the problem is I was super strong and then my body just, but, but my resting heart rate when I was sick was like one. I was just going to ask you wear like an Apple watch. Oh, do you like- now it's 80. I'm doing good. Yeah, I do. Ooh, you're no, so relaxed the Apple watch, here. <laughs> the Apple watch saved my life because that was the day where I could go in and say, no, look, I have data on what my heart rate's been doing. Because I was like, no, my heart rate's See, IT queen knows the value. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. data, bitches. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, I checked it myself. I'm like, this is accurate. So I've worn an Apple watch every day since. Yeah, I love my Apple Watch. My husband upgrades it for me every two years. Crazy <laughs> what a keeper. Those are the kinds of things that can actually help save you, you know. Oh, I'm a huge fan of patient-owned medical devices so that you can take care of yourself. I think for me, managing my heart rate was key and just understanding what it was doing during the day so that I could have information for the physicians who were trying to manage my drugs because I was such a difficult patient. Not because of my personality, just because I would come in and my blood pressure was nothing. (laughs) Or I'd call and be like, my blood pressure is like 180 over 130. And, you know, it's my head feels like it's ripping apart. I, I just so many different things were happening to me. The more information I had, the better they could care for me. So how are you doing now? Oh, I'm excellent now. <laughs> yes, girl. We're- I I graduated with my doctorate in December. I graduated from cardiac rehab in February, and I'm really proud of that. I am off my the meds I was on for cardiac. There's a, still a couple of other meds that help regulate other organs that I'm still on, but I'm going to try and – my goal is to taper this year, see how I do. POTS patients can recover. Um, no, some recover say, is this fully. like a lifelong thing or it can be it can be some people recover I don't know which category I'm in but I'm I'm working hard for it I'm trying to <laughs> I may have patience forever or po- I'm, I have patience forever I may have pots forever and I'm okay with that because I've learned how to function with it um, one of the things is electrolytes 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 and leg workout leg workout leg workout <laughs> I mean do you take supplements or you just like chug a little Pedialyte Oh my gosh. Uh, I've done Pedialyte, Emergency. Um, there's a new one out, like a, I'll have to look at the name of it. You know what? Nice tip for like a cocktail Ew. is Emergency and Vodka. Oh, 
It makes a really good It's mixer. really good, actually. Yeah. Someone told me this. The raspberry one is Yeah. Good. So one time I ran out after my grandma's funeral of... We ran out of orange juice, so I started. I was like, I need. There was nothing like it was just a bunch of soda and stuff. I'm like, I can't mix vodka with like Coke. That's disgusting. Oh my god! With a little like um spark- sparkling water on top. No, because like, it is ooh. the sparkling. It's oh, that is emergency's sparkling. fizzy. So I like literally was like, I need something to mix with vodka, and I went in my aunt's like cupboard and I was like emergency hell yeah! So I made a <laughs> cup of emergency and I poured vodka in there and I was like, check yourself while you wreck yourself. Someone, my one of my first drinks in college was um, this guy came over to our house. He was a rower and he made me a pink lemonade with vodka thing. And I think he made it with emergency. Yeah, it's really good. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's because I'm like, oh, beer tastes bad. So he made that. Yeah, I don't like He's beer. like, oh, that's not terrible. <laughs> he was trying real hard. <laughs> Wait, okay. So I want to touch on this though, because I think something that you're bringing up that I think is really important to talk about is being your own advocate. Oh yeah. As a patient cuz you were you were a nurse. Yes. Who went through the freaking ringer. Yes. And you still you you're looking at someone and you're saying I know something is wrong. I look okay, but I'm I'm not okay. The first day I went to the emergency room, I was a patient and a nurse and I was frustrated cuz I wanted to see a cardiologist that day because I thought I was going to go home and I I thought I was gonna die. I really I I didn't I I didn't have that mindset of oh I think I'm dying, but I thought something is wrong with me. I'm a female. Women present very differently for heart attacks. What is going on? And they couldn't find anything. So I I called <laughs> my dad's cardiologist, and my dad has had a lot of different things, including open heart surgery and a cabbage, and you know has almost died several times but so he knows my personality he knows I'm not a highly anxious person so I called him told him what was going on he said come in so he had me come in to um, a center for heart failure and he evaluated me that day and he the first thing he said to me he looked he took an EKG he looked at me and he's like something's wrong this is this is not abnormal he put a monitor on me that day so that uh, I could be monitored remotely and for people to track my rhythm so that we could try and figure it out because we couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know what it was right away. And, and you you can't just put someone on a medication or, you know, yeah. give them a pacemaker or do those things. You have to figure out what the problem is. But figuring out my problem took months because it wasn't a heart problem, which is fascinating <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> What's your advice to someone that maybe is experiencing health complications and is kind of just hitting dead ends? Because I feel like a lot of times people don't really get anywhere and they just get told that you're normal or this is fine. Or Oh, you can't give up. You can't give up. Go see someone else. I also think you need to refer yourself. That's why I think, okay, the insurance industry is a whole different problem. But in today's world, I think it's important to have PPO insurance so that you can refer yourself. I referred myself to physicians. I, love that. I always had PPO when I was on my parents, but ever since I've been on my own, I've always had the cheapest HMO. I'm just aggressive as fuck. Yeah. So they just <laughs> refer me to like... If you have an HMO, you have to really know how to navigate that system. Yeah. I I am someone who... You have to have, find impatient. a good primary who's open to that. My you primary, have to have a good primary was like, your li- iron's low, take iron supplements. I'm like, I don't want iron supplements. I want an IV iron infusion. She's like, Why okay. is your iron low in the first place? That's what would be my question. Well, and then she referred me to a hematologist. There you go. And so, but I know other people's primaries are very much like 
write them off. off. That was the other reason why I was nurse. I'm factor five, which means I clot more than other people. Mm. And my heart rates, you know, I'm just sitting there. Holy smokes. I know, right? That I got from my dad. That's his fault. So (laughs) I. So you knew that already about yourself. Like that was diagnosed. I was diagnosed with factor five. All they did was take me off birth control. It wasn't a thing. But then my heart rate's 150 and I'm going, I don't want to stroke. Yeah. I clot more than people. Can we make sure I'm not fibbing? Yeah. Uh Do I, am I an AFib? They're like, no, they couldn't. I mean. But that's what I was nervous about. I'm like, oh. And then, you know, I go home that night. I, I've never felt, I've never been in so much pain. I felt like my face was ripping apart. It was the worst migraine I've ever had. And it was because my resting heart rate that evening was 144 and my blood pressure was incredibly high. And so I've learned my when I have high blood pressure, it comes with a really bad headache. But now I have meds that it, does, it doesn't happen as often now. Um, I can mitigate that with working out and diet sort of but when it does happen I do have emergency meds I can take that make me feel better what are the emergency meds okay so it depends on what <laughs> it is he likes to know these things depends on yeah. the symptoms so if I'm having anything with the GI tract honestly the best was a little bit of Xanax because it helps with the nausea and the nervous system it calms it wasn't for anxiety but it calms that part of the nervous system because when it's vomiting and diarrhea or anything with just stomach cramping or GI distress in any way that calms the nervous system down. It like slows motility a little it bit, slows right? Motility. It just slows it down because yeah. it's sped up so quickly that it just take it takes the edge off and the, the pain off. Actually, it solves the problem and it goes away. And you just need to do it one time. It's not an ongoing thing. It's just one time. Um, for if I have a high heart rate or high blood pressure, propanolol has been very helpful with that. Um, but Coralinor was a medication that I was on for a couple of years that managed a lot of that. So it had a little bit of sympathetic effect on the nervous system while also managing heart rate. So it was very helpful. So that's why I was so nervous when I was going through cardiac rehab and coming off that med. You know, it that's saved my life. Line. And I'm like, oh, my God, was you know, I don't want to end up in the emergency room again. The firemen knew my name. I mean, we called them. But were they hot? <laughs> they you know what my husband's hotter but they were hot okay oh i love my husband he was yeah he was by far the cutest all right so miss with the haughty husband better than a fireman lucky pants so thank you you've been the patient you've been the nurse yes now you're in research how has that kind of impacted your job and your outlook on your career seeing both sides of the spectrum honestly i think it makes me more valuable i think that no your worth queen you, yeah. i love that i think if you can understand the patient perspective the clinician perspective and then what you're trying to do from a technical perspective it's really important cuz you can lose sight of that some some people come to us and want to implement certain types of documentation or things for the patient that the patient doesn't really want or need. So for example, we used to have a really long discharge summary of things that the patient didn't need. So we gathered a patient work group where they said, okay, throw that out the window, throw that out, cross that out. We just really want our med list and what we need to do when we go home. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's make it what the patients want and not what you know, we thought that we needed to. Well, we yeah, like my doctor's to office do, still tells what, me to eat you know. six servings of fruits and vegetables. I'm like, shut up. No, <laughs> that's not what I was here for. Yeah, but I would say, I mean, so so having the clinical expertise now, the patient expertise, and then having because having to navigate the healthcare system with a complex chronic condition, 
being in the hospital and having family come visit you and having those conversations with your primary team. I mean, I'm someone who I'm a nurse. I want information at the tip of my fingers. As soon as that lab test is drawn, I'm looking on my patient portal be like, is it, is it done? Is it, has it come back yet? What is it? Cause I'm doing my own analysis in my head of what is wrong with me. How can I fix it? What can I do to be better? So for me, I, I think it's really important. I think it's personally, I would like to say it's made me more valuable because I have a better understanding of the full circle of what we're trying to do to improve patient care. Was there any like specific things that you kind of learned that you actually implemented at your job that you were like, well, when I was sick, this was a problem I identified that now I want to fix? Oh, yeah. So many things. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, for me, give the patient what they need and not everything else that they don't need. So for me, it's, I don't need this. I don't need that. You know, I I want you to give me exactly what I want. I don't want all of this extra stuff that you think I need. The other piece to that too is, um, having, having information in the hospital from your primary team, primary team, I think communication with the patient is very important. And we don't, when we don't do that, I think patient satisfaction is lower. So for me as a patient, when clinicians would come in and communicate those results to me, even though I see them, but discuss with me the treatment plan. And I think as a patient, that's very important. But my role as a nurse informaticist is being able to see that all of the clinicians caring for a patient can see all the information they need so they can go have that complex talk with the patient and understand everything going on with their care. Not just the hematologist here and the cardiologist here, the psychiatrist here, the neurologist here. Everyone's coming together to have that conversation with me with what we think collectively as a team is wrong. And I think technology has a huge role in that. So for me as a patient, that was really important in making sure that our medical record and technology is transparent to all of our clinicians so that they can provide our patients with that type of communication. So for me, that was big. And that was something that I always work to improve. That's something that's ongoing across these different platforms because we may have implemented one system but that means we have several different applications on one platform that don't always necessarily communicate the way you expect them to so you need to improve that so for me that's a big focus what is the one piece of technology that you like nerd out on the most that you're just like this is the coolest thing ever that we are implementing or doing this is like revolutionary what do you nerd out on? nursing phones the new nursing phones. Oh, yeah. So remember, like, we had those old phones Ask-oms. where all they do. I hate yes. phones. All they do is call and take calls. Now, the phones that we can implement now, you can scan the med, you can document, oh. you can page, you can document, uh, you can do your pain reassessment, you can have alerts sent to your phone so that it's not always ringing off the hook. You can see them. If you don't pick it up, it goes to your backup. I love any piece of technology that will help a nurse with their job. And I think making these phones what we need them to be as nurses is amazing. What's the, what's the brand on that? Do you know the name? What's, ooh. Mm, it's escaping me at the moment, but it's really not about the phone. You have to have the phone. And then middleware. So there's, there's, an, remember that interface. <laughs> so, and then you have to have the app, the ability to put applications on the phone and then the network and make sure your calls don't get dropped. So it's not just the brand of the phone. There's actually a lot of different things that go in to making that functionality happen, including the piece of hardware, which is the phone, the software on the phone, the middleware that's connecting everything, the interfaces, the applications on the phone, the paging system. I mean, that list can go on and on. So that 
that whole system is being managed by an entire team. That's not just, oh, here's a phone and here's how it works. That's a whole system. How expensive is it for a hospital to implement that sort of technology? Well, the phones themselves are exp- are expensive. I mean, we're spending at least half a million to a mil or maybe millions just on the phones. But then there's the middleware, the vendor for the middleware, and then the teams to run, implement, and maintain it. It's very expensive. So how long do you think until you see that be kind of common standard practice for hospital systems? Yeah. Everyone's working on it right now. Most most people are trying to get rid of the old phones and integrate them with our electronic – because now we have – a smart medical record yeah, with best practice advisories and alerts mm-hmm. and all these things we built into it. Why not get the phone to help us out yeah, so that we don't always have to log in? Increase safety. Is there a piece of it, of technology you wish was established for like, or is it like, a, is like yes. visionary? What's your oh shark God, tank yeah. idea? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God. I know you don't even have She's to. She's like, I'm this not is, telling. No, no. This is my idea. I want when you do something for it to just be documented. Why do I have yes. to document it myself? Yes. Yes. I want, like, if I come do my assessment and you look fine and I can, like, talk through my assessment, I just want it to be documented. Thank you. You are the healthcare hero we all deserve. (laughs) The best. That's been my wish forever because I feel like I'm doing something and then I have to document what I just did. Yeah. Yeah. It's very repetitive what we do. Waste so much Can't we just do it while we do it? I, I, so that's. How can we streamline this? What can we make? I'm just trying to make the documentation time, how much time we have to spend in the medical record and with technology shorter so we can spend more time on our patients. Because the, the amount of things that clinicians are being asked to do these days is, is higher and higher. Documentation, Even billing. Even since we started as nurses, it's gone up. Why do you think I peaced out to transport? Bye. Yeah, no, bye. Have fun with that. Yeah, it's gnarly. I mean, <laughs> the amount of shifts little... that I stay over because of whatever, a late admission or surgery and everything, pre-op and post-op vitals. It's just, yeah, it's... It's a nightmare for us. It's a lot. Yeah. And we're still at the point where we might be taking vitals, but you still have to manually file what you want to file because sometimes that data isn't good data and you don't want to file that because then all of your metrics are off. So it'd be great if it was just the same every time and then the computer knew I'm going to file these five values because these are valid, but not these three. Thank you. Like, please don't pull up the 63 sat when my kid was mainly satting 94% and had a dip. But then you want to pick the lowest one out of the whole freaking thing. Like, and record that. Thank yes. you. Oh, no. It's so annoying. Yeah. Because it affects the trends and affects your reporting that you're getting and what physicians see. So that's why we have to manually file that data. But I would love it if, you know, the more automatic we can make it, I think would be easier for everyone. But when you make it automatic, you have to think about those things. The type of data it's filing, which is why we haven't done it yet. Okay. What is maybe three pieces of advice you could leave someone about anything. I think the most important piece of advice I have for anyone is you have to find something that you love or you have to find a career that allows you to do what you love. I love that. That's the most important thing I've ever learned Mm -hmm. is that you have to find, because I've had jobs I've hated Thank God I knew like, but I think that was impressive if, and I think the second piece is if you have internships or experiences that you don't like, don't think about it negatively because that means you can just cross it off the list. That means yep. you don't want to do it. Then you can go try all these other things that yep. you might want to do. Ta- Sam and I talk about that a lot. 
like you're not if it's good to go through those things and to grow and to learn but if you're not happy in it that's okay you're gonna learn from it make the best of that situation and then you move on right the second I worked for Dr. Phil I was like this is not for me (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna go to nursing school sorry Dr. Phil yeah no he was great it's the entertainment industry that I just didn't like that role it had nothing to do with him it was just that role I didn't like the role you're too pure hearted Oh, thank you. That means you'd be perfect for it? Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on. Come on. You probably would have loved it. Yeah. Uh, so we did two tips. Do you want any other tips? Oh, a third tip. Mm. Uh, yes. On your resume, sometimes HR managers read backwards to forward. So always include something unique about yourself. For me, it was that I was a volleyball player. Someone else might be they play the violin. It could, it could be anything. It could, one person was like, I tried to climb Mount Everest. I think there's interesting things that we lose nowadays with resumes and how they're formatted. I think you have to include something about yourself that will set you apart and is unique. And it could just be one letter. So for me, the fact that I was a volleyball player has gotten me hired more than once. And it's an important character trait that people look for that I didn't know would be that important. But I know now, <laughs> I wish I had told my younger self this. Should resumes be one or two pages? It depends on what they're looking for. I would say with the resumes I reviewed, it's really nice if you have a one pager, but then a cover later that expands on whatever it is that you're trying to say. Because a, a resume just gets your foot in the door for the interview. The interview is where you win it. But your resume and your cover letter gets your foot in the door, and that's all it does. Your resume is not getting you the job. I just downsized mine from a two-pager to a one-pager. And it was hard because I felt like, well, I'm not telling them all these awesome things about me. And I was like, they don't want to know every detail. Like, let me put the biggest things on one page. And I think it looks a lot cleaner and nicer It's much cleaner. But I would say – so really, I I think – a CV is much longer because once you start getting into publications and all these other things, yeah. you can have that. So your resume is one page and maybe your publications on the back or you could have more, but the everything on the high the level on one page. page. And if someone mm-hmm. really wants to dig into it, you have a CV with it. Yeah. And that's really for like the academia world, especially mm-hmm. and stuff. And hot tip, put that nice little one liner at the bottom to get their attention. <sighs> How yeah. do you feel about pictures on resume? You know, I've never done it for myself. I helped my sister with it. It helped her in the beauty industry because, but, but that, but that, how you look and how, and makeup is, is very important in that industry. But I, I would 100%, say, in, I think I, if I was a manager, I would say yes, because I, then when you're interviewing, you remember the person to that resume. I'm like, how the hell are you supposed to know name to name to name to name and remember the face to the That's name? That's actually really yeah. important. And a key feature about me is that I was a redhead. So maybe I should put a little picture in the corner <laughs> so of myself. Know, oh, that redhead. Not yeah, loved her. Be like, no, I'm yeah, serious. The redhead. Because, no, I but mean, I have heard that from even hiring managers at our hospital. They're like, oh, I see this new thing where they're including pictures of themselves. And then we're going back discussing the candidates. The ones that have a picture, we remember their interview because we remember yeah. their face. And we're like, oh, we liked them. I think it's That's really actually smart. a really smart. I should do that. Thank you. I so did on my yeah. new updated resume. I added my picture. And yeah, I was like, Sam just did hers yeah. i need to redo mine but i'm like i think it yours. Really I smart. See it. yeah it's very look- i was very proud i texted it to tori and i was like yeah, it mm, looks really good look at this yeah. Ooh, i gotta see that format mm-hmm. i'm always mm-hmm. into that stuff yeah, yeah it was fun to yeah we I, I think that's a new hot tip there um if you could give advice to your 18 year old self what would you say i think that's the most important thing i think you have to definitely have a good time but Find something that you're passionate about and that you love and then find a career that either allows you to do what you love or a career that you're do- you're already doing what you love. So for me, I love traveling. So I found a career both, but I lo- also love nursing. So for me, I found a career that I love and it also allows me to travel. So I love traveling. Um, 
those are my top two things. So I've, I've done both, but it took me a really long time to figure out what I wanted to do and arrive here. But I have been searching for that for a long time. So I would say nursing informatics is my home. I found it, but it, it didn't come when I was in my early twenties, but I'm thankful that someone gave me that advice so that I could, I knew what I was looking for. So that when I found it, and I found my life balance of what I wanted to be, do and be. I was like, ah, this is where it's not the grass is greener on the other side. I have found what I'm looking for and I'm happy. I think life balance is so underrated in the healthcare profession. Oh, work-life balance is huge. Yeah. That's Tori why I, I love my, yeah. Work-life balance is a big deal. I think flexibility is a big deal, especially a lot of people are now learning that with the pandemic and remote work. But my work-life balance is really important for me and being able to travel and be separated and have that break from work, I think is incredibly important. It's 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 important to me. Yeah, that's why you all should go to Bali. You should come to Bali oh with my us, gosh. girl. When are you going you to and Bali? Your hubby, we're going April twenty first to the twenty eighth next year. Ah, uh, yeah, I want to go. Come with us. I yes. haven't been to Bali. I want to go to Bali. Yeah, you got it. We're gonna force you to come with us. Yeah, I'm done. okay with that. Oh, Bali, I I've been dying to go there. Yeah, we've never been. List. We're so excited for sure. I've never been over there, but I did live in Australia, and that oh. was one place I didn't get to go. Is thailand and, uh, and bali like in that part of the world so where can everybody find you so i'm on linkedin you can um, reach out to me on linkedin if you have any questions about nursing or nursing informatics my door is always open i would say that's the best way to find me i tend to not have a lot of different social media applications just because with my role nowadays i i don't want anything happening within the hacking realm or <laughs> yeah, the yeah. inappropriate picture You're a realm hot target. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you know I, I do that to protect my role so but I would say I am on LinkedIn it's a pro- professional platform but you can yeah. uh connect with me and and ask me anything ask you her like. any questions you guys definitely check her out she's fabulous amazing we are just so thankful to have you come in here today yes thank you so much thank for you, coming Sasha. down this has been like just a fun little like girls i know i love this it feels like oh i've had a great time i didn't know this is what podcasting was like i'd be like Mm. oh let's do this all the time yes (laughs) come back yeah yes please yeah anytime thank you very much i'll have to find something else to talk to you about but like yeah no i feel like we could explore more of the the patient side of Mm -hmm. women oh yeah i could talk to you about that all yeah something i'm passionate about too oh yeah that was quite an experience been well, a long appreci- road <laughs> we appreciate your time yes thank so you thank so you. much thank you it's been amazing thank you so much stasha for coming on today we hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we did recording it she is just such a spitfire we loved her we had such a blast it's that redhead sass oh man. my god she brings it <laughs> i love her she does i know all right you guys make sure you are following us on our insta that's at c-e-l-l-f-i-e underscore podcast make sure you check out the link in our bio it's full of all of our sponsors hot tips bali it's got our merch vaccinated af hats make sure you check that out and you know sh- what to do You know the drill. You know the drill. Download, subscribe, rate, review. (laughs) And if you leave us a review and throw in your Instagram handle, we will send you out a swag bag. Yes, we will. We are sending them out this coming week. We are so excited. All of our pens, our stickers, all of our amazing little swag bag merch moments. And make sure you're following us on our Instas. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.